Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Pay and reward is a topic that has no doubt been on the minds of many HR professionals this year. With external challenges affecting business and internal employee priorities changing, it's become an area that many HR professionals and teams are struggling to grasp, especially as 2020 looms in the not-so-distant future. But to go to through this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by an expert in the world of reward, previously working with big names such as Kerry Group, Mercer, and more, and now a freelance reward consultant. We're joined by Oliver Coakley. Thanks for joining us, Oliver. How are you? Hi, Owen. I'm, I'm, I'm great to be here. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And Oliver, we're delighted to have you back again. The subject of reward is a big issue at the moment. So um, I think our listeners will get a lot of value from this episode. Absolutely. And on that note, Oliver, I suppose I'll kick off. We'd be kind of remiss not to talk about a couple of very obvious factors in the whole pay and reward world, cost of living crisis pay deals, pay strikes, we've all seen the headlines around various things. So I suppose, can you talk to us a little bit about how the world of pay and reward has developed since we last spoke a couple of months ago? Yeah, on uh, look, price inflation is is really the the you know the big issue at the moment. Um, you know, I think in Ireland it's running at just over kind of 8% at the moment. Um, you know, employees, everybody, right? Everybody's feeling the, the, uh, the pain of that in their pockets, cost of groceries, cost of fuel, cost of energy, cost of housing, and with interest rates, I suppose, set to increase even further, you know, I think the impact uh, will probably get worse before it gets better. And I think, you know, employers are, are trying to, you know, figure out what to do, you know, um, both as regards supporting their people, um, but also protecting their, their business. And it's a really challenging environment in which to manage both of those objectives. You know, what I'm seeing and, and talking to businesses, you know, I think for the majority of businesses, their their margins are, are being squeezed by inflation, you know, some uh, more than others. So the reality is it's not feasible for, you know, the vast majority of companies to, to give pay increases in, in line with the price inflation rate. But for those that can afford to, to do something, I suppose what I'm seeing is consideration being given to a few different approaches. You know, some are looking at one-off lump sum payments to help people get through the, the winter. And certainly that's being uh, colored by, you know, the new gift voucher limits that were announced in, in, the, in the budget recently. I think you'll have seen AIB and Bank of Ireland uh, announcing something uh, around that in, in the last week or so. And then you have other organizations who, I suppose, have a bit more scope to pass on cost increases uh, to their customers. And they're working through, I suppose, what they'll do with regards to pay increases uh, early early next year um, and whether they'll apply any differentiation between lower paid and, and higher paid uh, um, uh, in, in that. So that's kind of, I think, a really topical 
agenda item for, for most organizations at the moment. And certainly he's taken up uh, quite a bit of time as, as folks plan for, for 2023 and, and, the, and the upcoming winter. 100%. And I suppose, Mary, this is kind of having an effect on employees as well, too, Mary's. And I suppose things like, and HR teams included, let's not forget that, things like additional stress, worries. I know we spoke to Sinead Pros from Leia only a month ago about the, the stress that was putting on employees around cost of living, that kind of stuff. So it is having an effect out there, Mary, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, you know, as people's personal finances get squeezed, you know, they're bringing these issues into the workplace. And and like we discussed with Sinead Bruce, you know, an employee will bring their whole selves to work. Um, and if that involves stress and concern and worry about pay and how they're going to afford their lives, um, that is having a big impact on individuals. And, you know, we've all, all in HR and talent acquisition this year been dealing with resignations and new entrants into the workforce. That war on talent rages on and again, a situation where employees must make decisions relating to their personal finances is driving more resignations, that increased desire to change jobs. And it, it is very, very difficult for HR teams and talent acquisition people to try and find that talent. You know, if you lose someone from your business today, you're probably going to pay five to 10% more to get somebody else into the business. And that is really problematic. As you say, Oliver, margins are getting squeezed, but you still need people to do jobs. And if you lose one person, you have to replace them, but the demands are high from the new entrant, that's problematic. So I guess the whole retention strategy becomes really important and what you're doing around pay and reward in your organization to help people at this time is really important. But I'm really interested to see more to hear from Oliver what might employers be able to do outside of the gift voucher schemes, outside of maybe a one-off bonus payment? If you can't give pay increases, what else can you do? Yeah, so it's 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 uh, that's really the debate at the moment. You know, I think a, a useful reference point that um, I know many um, organisations are looking at the moment is, um, and some folks will have seen, I suppose, the, the public service pay package um, deal, which was uh, proposed to public service unions by the WRC probably back late in August, um, but was only just ratified by, by unions just recently. So if you take a look at what's in that package, just as a data point, combined with the, the existing public sector pay deal that was put in place, uh, I suppose, over a year ago, it essentially means that over the course of 2022 and 2023, so over two years, public sector employees will have received, you know, pay increases in the region of three and a half to five percent per annum uh, across each of those years, right? And I think those organisations, and, and there are some organisations at the moment who are being absolutely squeezed mar margin-wise by inflation because they're not able to pass it on. So, excluding those organisations, I think the vast majority of companies are in that surface space of three and a half to five percent. It's a case of figuring out within that what's right for their business, given the competitiveness that's there in the talent marketplace and 
and what they can afford as a business as well. So that's kind of the space that I'm kind of seeing the tea league sort of settling in uh, at the moment, but it is early days. Mm, absolutely. And I suppose the data is telling us different things. I suppose we saw a lot of um, data and comments around how pay was such a priority. We've seen other reports that said flexibility is now back on par with pay, that kind of stuff. So I suppose it's just from that kind of perspective, Oliver, for those companies that are, I suppose, do have a number of challenges in front of them, what do you think should be the key priorities, I suppose? Is it all pay? Is it more than that? I think I think I know the answer, but I'll ask that question. Yeah. 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 Look, I think... Um, it's interesting if you go back 40 years, right, the, the, the deal between employees and employers, what's often called the employee value proposition, was very much um, focused on, on pay and benefits alone, right? And then that began to expand into career progression. But over the last number of years in particular, and especially post-COVID, hybrid working, work-life balance, flexibility has really roared onto the scene um, and the same actually for, for employee well-being. So... I think, you know, the value proposition between employee and employer now encompasses all of these sort of relatively new areas around flexibility, work around uh, hybrid working, around work-life balance and well-being, as well as that traditional sort of area of pay and benefits. And I think survey after survey, you know, that's been published over recent years, I think they've all confirmed that same thing, that these new areas are right up there with, with pay and benefits in terms of the importance to, to, to employees. And as you were saying, Mary, look, the, the talent market is still very competitive. Um, so I think, you know, a priority for, for employers has to be to have a strategy in place uh, for each of those areas even if that means just one small thing across each of the buckets that I mentioned there um, earlier, you know, one small thing for the year ahead, because I do think it adds up and it will make a difference to ultimately achieving that goal, which is attracting and, and retaining talent. 100%. I think we spoke briefly about kind of companies that are a little bit more stretched as well. So I suppose for yourself, Mary, the question is, and I don't want to sound kind of too vexatious or, or too negative on it, but I think some questions that we might get on this are, certain business leaders that kind of thing is how much will this cost me and because obviously there's businesses are stretched teams are stretched but a lot of these things kind of cost a bit of money is that kind of a fair concern for businesses mary or is there more you can do around that i i really do think it's a fair concern you know it's interesting to see i i heard of one company in the finance sector bringing in a graduate for thirty-eight thousand. And that giving you an indication of how tightly squeezed the market might be for certain sectors, that may be an outlier. It may be very unusual. But if you think about bringing in a graduate at that kind of salary range, you know, what is the knock on impact across the organization? So absolutely, I see people out there squeezed. I see the hardest jobs to fill at the moment might be those that are quite rigid around their in-office or hybrid work models. So those are particularly difficult to fill, particularly in in urban areas. So Dublin in particular, um, where the cost of rent, the cost of housing, 
um, the affordability and accessibility of childcare is a real issue. And so if you think about trying to fill roles in a Dublin market, that is more cha challenging possibly than trying to fill roles uh, in, a, in a more rural area. And that's quite interesting because it's a real flip. Uh, always we've had people flock to urban centres and now um, following the pandemic or whether we're still in the pandemic or not, it, it kind of confuses me still uh, as COVID is still widely floating around out there. But, you know, it's for employers that what should I do next piece is there. And Oliver, I take the point that the public sector pay deal you know, is there at a certain point. But typically in the private sector, then that gets pushed up again. And it doesn't, you know, that's the starting point for negotiations often will be, you know, the public sector getting this, but they have long-term security and better, you know, long-term prospects versus some of the private sector where job security isn't always there. And particularly if the economy turns or, you know, we, we move into recession or depression. Um, you know, that security is not there in the private sector. So there is always a trade-off between a career in the public sector and a, a career in the private sector. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, Oliver, or not. I'd be curious. That's fair, Mary, but I, I suppose to counter or not, I would say, but there are opportunities then within the private sector to offer a lot more flexibility and a lot more options that aren't there in the in the public sector. Um, so looking at back end, maybe to the, to the cost question you, you were asking, I mean, I think there's a lot that um, private employers can do, uh, whether it's around hybrid working or whether it's around flexible benefits or whether it's around well-being of employees that don't actually or, or can be structured in a way that doesn't cost a lot of money, that does dial up that proposition to private sector employees over and above public sector em em employees. And if I take flex benefits as one of those areas, for example, you know, for me, that's all about getting more value from, from the money that you are currently spending, right? So it's about how can you introduce more choice, more flexibility. And if I take a, a recent uh, announcement that I saw in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks, which was Deloitte in, in the UK, they announced actually that they were going to allow employees greater choice by allowing them to take their employer pension contribution as cash. So, you know, if you think about it, if you're out there and you're saving to put together a deposit to buy a house or in secure mortgage approval, you're going to be absolutely delighted with that flexibility. Equally, if you're struggling to pay, you know, energy bills, you're going to be delighted with that opportunity to, to temporarily take some extra cash over pension. You know, I think back earlier this year, they, they did something along the lines of saying to folks, look, rather than taking public holidays on set dates, you'll have flexibility to take them at whatever dates make sense or are or, or more relevant for, for, for you, right? So I think it's a you know great example of how you can choose choice and flexibility without having to dial up the budget significantly around it in a way that gives you an edge, gives you an edge versus uh, public sector, but gives you an edge versus your competitors, given as, which is especially important and relevant given the competitiveness in, in the labor market. And at the end of the day, I think this is all about how do you set yourselves apart from your competitors in a, in a way that really helps and supports your business 
to attract and retain the talent you need in order to drive uh, your, your strategy and, and, and your growth. 100%. I think, Mary, I suppose with a lot of these things, once there is increases developments in the whole pay and reward space, once the competition ramps up, I suppose it generally gets better overall. Mary does not, I suppose it's kind of a fairly general general comment, but it does definitely have a benefit to employees and that kind of thing when when this kind of thing develops again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when you look at work from anywhere policies, you look at, you know, the kind of policies that uh, companies like Lidl are putting in place, you know, all around family care and and health and well-being, you know, they're quite smart in terms of how they're attracting people into their roles by offering fertility treatments, offering, um, you know, things like time off for miscarriage, time off for domestic violence or abuse in the home and those kind of things and looking really broadly at, well, what can we actually do for our employees? And those, those things mean a lot to individuals and you can do something quite smart around those things too but you know I do think it's really important Oliver to be creative uh, when it comes to pay and reward and think about well what is it that you can actually offer that might appeal to the kind of people you're trying to attract Um, you know, so many employers are struggling now with their traditional approaches to work um, and, you know, being more creative, being more flexible um, you know, can certainly give people the edge. Yeah, to a certain degree, to a certain degree um, you know, look, I've been in the reward space for, for 25 years and sometimes I pause and reflect and I think actually, have we been doing reward the same way since for the last hundred years, right? In terms of pay, in terms of traditional benefits, and is it the right thing to do? Or actually, if we were to reset, right, and try to leave behind all of that legacy and all of that ingrained, well, this is how we've always done things, would we do it differently? And I, 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 you know, have an emerging sort of viewpoint that actually, why do we have companies out there sort of saying, look, we're going to give you all of these benefits, but we're going to tell you exactly how we're going to give it to you, right? Rather than saying, actually, here's what we're going to spend on our employees. You're going to have this bucket for benefits, but we're going to give you ultimate flexibility around how you use that, right? Here's a marketplace over here where you can go away and buy pension, buy healthcare, buy whatever you want in there, right? Or take it all as cash. We're not going to tell you what you should do with that money uh, because we recognize that there is such diversity in our workforce, people with different needs, different wants, and you're all responsible adults, right? So I, I think there's a bit of a, you know, reset that's needed in relation to the workplace across a number of areas, including how we reward people in a way that I really think can align to employers' desire to stand out from the pack, to be uh, different, to have that edge and talent attraction, but also to just simplify this stuff for people, make it easy for them to understand, allow them to design their reward in a way that meets their needs. And I, I really do think there's something in that space that needs to be talked about uh, and, and discussed more. 
Definitely. And I think even, Oliver, the, the baseline is kind of changing as well over time. If we talk about some external factors, even things like, and these are things that will not necessarily be linked to, it, but will affect the pay and reward space, things like gender pay gap, pension auto-enrollment, sick leave, that kind of stuff. Even this new public, publicly funded IVF, that's something that might have been in pay and reward packages uh, for some companies. What kind of effect will these kind of new external government-led, these kind of things affect the, the pay and reward space, do you think? Look, it's it's just it's uh, it means there's a busy agenda, right? For particularly HR leaders um, and HR departments over the course of the next of the next while. But I mean, breaking this down, I suppose, into into the next few months, I think. Look, the the two big agenda items for HR leaders are, you know, in the short term, really, you know, how you know how do we, uh, you know, what's our plan to support our people through the current um, inflation crisis, you know, whether that's through pay increases or or, or other one-off measures, and then, and then secondly. There is this uh, looming deadline that's coming up around publishing your gender pay gap report. You know, now, granted, this will only uh, impact companies that have more than uh, 250 employees, but that report needs to be basically published uh, between now and, and the end of, of December. And that's really a big item for, for a lot of HR leaders at the moment. Uh, so as, as companies begin to sort of work through their numbers, I think many are in the space uh, at the moment of trying to delve underneath the bonnet of some of the headline numbers around gender pay gap, trying to understand what's what's driving that uh, that gap, you know, trying to understand where it's coming from and how to engage senior leaders and ultimately their employees around it in advance of, of, of year end. So you mentioned pension auto enrollment. So there's a lot of stuff coming down the track, but I think, look, this is, let's, you know, let's take it sort of six months at a time and, and, and deal with the priorities that, that are there. But let's also do some strategic planning around the next year in terms of, and again, I'll go back to that employee value proposition and, and, and the three or four buckets I mentioned. What is it that we can plan as, as an organization across those buckets over the course of the next year that will really dial up our offering to employees, make us a more attractive place for our employees and for future employees. And yeah, there are some things coming down the stream that uh, that need to be done from a legislative point of view. Let's not ignore them, but but they need to be weaved in as well. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's a big question. What can employers do, uh, I suppose, next year? So Mary, I'll come to yourself for that one. Maybe any advice then for employers who may be kind of struggling with where to start when it comes to getting this kind of thing right what should they do what's what's the kind of first port of call from, from your perspective yeah i talked to oliver that's a really good starting point <laughs> isn't it because in order to come up with alternative ways of paying and rewarding employees you have to probably be challenged in terms of your thinking and you may need workshops with the senior team to think about, well, what could we do? What's our budget? What are our competitors doing? How can we be different? Um, I always remember, you know, working in, in financial services myself and, and ringing around to all of the uh, key players in the industry. Of course, we would have known all the, the HR people at the time and talk to them about their uh, range of salaries, benefits, offerings and things like that. And we all kept pretty much in line back in the day. And we're talking 20 years ago. Uh, and we kept pretty much in line around those kind of things. And now all of that is is different and we're all competing for a talent pool. 
you know, with extremely high employment levels in Ireland. So we're all going after the same people. And whether that's in Ireland or whether that's internationally, many of us are are looking internationally as well as nationally and um, struggling to fill those roles. So I think to to sit down, to think about it, to look at the kind of uh, resources that the company has available in this area. And I love that idea, Oliver, of, you know, why are we doing it this way? Is there some other way we could be doing it, uh, like uh, Deloitte or um, like looking at here's the pot of money that we would be spending on you by giving you, you know, health care, pension, uh, time off, you know, marriage leave, paid maternity leave, whatever it is. These are the th- all the things that would be open to you as an employee. Uh, and here's the amount we would spend on you. So what do you want to do with it? I think mm-hmm. it would be an interesting discussion. 100%. I suppose any kind of final advice then from yourself, Oliver, last word to yourself for where to start, what to do first? Yeah, look, I, I think um, obviously, look, it's a challenging environment at the moment, right? And the budget around pay, pay increases is a significant one, right? So but I think outside of that, you know, there's an opportunity to start small. Um, you know, er- everything you, you need uh, to do doesn't need to involve cost, given the context that I just mentioned around challenging sort of pay budgets. But, you know, even for, you know, for, in terms of a plan for the next year, think about each of those buckets that we talked about earlier in terms of, uh, you know, paying benefits, obviously, but, but career progression, work-life balance, hybrid working, broader flexibility, employee well-being, and think outside the box, you know, the creativity is required. And, you know, as I said earlier, sometimes I think we are just blinkered by the fact that we've been doing the same thing, uh, uh, the same way since the industrial era, you know, so make a plan, implement it, see what the employee reaction is and, and celebrate your wins and, and, and build from there, you know, and I think that's the way you bring a leadership team on board with, with some of this reinventing of reward, reinventing of the workplace is to, you know, get your wins, celebrate it and, and, and uh, uh, begin to get a few more supporters to the change that you're trying to Im- implement in your organizations. Can I ask you, Oliver, just on the four day week? Um, obviously, there's quite a lot of interest in in the whole concept of, of a four day week. Are you seeing much interest from your clients out there in the four day week? I think interest, but interest from a position of uh, three or four steps removed from it, right? And interest in terms of I'm curious as opposed to interest uh, in terms of I, w- I want to explore, yeah. Um, but, but for me, I, like that four-day week is a brilliant example of the whole reinvention that I talked about earlier in terms of, you know, if you go back far enough, we were probably working, you know, seven days a week or six days a week, right? So there, there is an opportunity to think, actually, is there an opportunity for us to do things differently in, in an organization and to contemplate a four-day week, does that uh, drive greater productivity within the organization? And does it give us an edge versus our competitors? I, w- I would challenge uh, that it absolutely would. You know, again, going back to the surveys, we've all seen that uh, work-life balance, employee well-being are, are right up there with, with pay and benefits at the moment. So I believe that those companies that are, that are brave enough and courageous enough to at least explore 
items like four day work week, I think will have an opportunity to to, to stand out from, from the crowd. It may not be right for every organization, but what I'm saying is I do think there's an opportunity there to at least explore it and understand it. Because I, I think there's a piece where a lot of companies actually don't understand properly probably what it means at the moment. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think the whole undertone to what you're saying, Oliver, is that creativity and what works best for business, I suppose. So huge thanks for that advice. Hopefully people are a lot more at ease than they were uh, half an hour ago when they started listening. So really appreciate that. So thank you, Mary and Oliver, for a very insightful discussion. Thank you to everyone for listening. we we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Do make sure to check some of the recent podcasts we actually spoke about there, the four-day week with Joe O'Connor, little people-centric policies with Denise White Hughes, and of course, the one we did a few months ago with Oliver around pay and reward frameworks. Very useful podcast in this regard. And as always, for HR consultancy services management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.